1 Corinthians chapter 10. In this chapter, Paul furthers his idea about both giving up your rights for the benefit of those around you and for the sake of the gospel and the harmony in the church. But he also includes a more serious um, warning and rebuke for any one of them who think that because they're a part of the church, that they're saved. Because they're numbered as a church member, that they're saved. See, the issue is that not everyone who goes to church is actually saved. I mean, it's kind of obvious when you think about it. Not everyone who goes even consistently or or serves in the church is actually saved. There are wolves amongst the sheep. There are uh, people who believe that they're saved because they're serving rather than they're saved and now so they and now they serve. There are people who think that they're there and they're saved just because they're there or they're saved because of what they're learning rather than having an actual true relationship with Jesus Christ and a surrendered life to him as Lord and Savior. And so Paul comes in and he gives some examples from the Old Testament. He refers to when all of the children of Israel, he says, ancestors walked in the wilderness and all of them were guided by the cloud in the day and all of them walked through the sea on dry land and all of them were baptized as Moses' followers and all of them ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual water and they were all there together. But God was not pleased with many of them as they lacked faith and as they were not walking with God. And he says that they didn't enter into the promised land because of that. Those things, verse 6 says, these things happened as a warning to us that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. And then he moves on and he talks about how there was this issue of worshiping the golden calf back in Numbers 23. And there were other issues of the Israelites falling into pagan idolatry. And a lot of the pagan idolatry of the time in the ancient world wasn't just that they would worship a statue, but how would they worship that statue? The ancient god Molech would have them burn their infant children as a sacrifice to him. And that was what the demon activity, the demonic activity was influencing them to worship that statue. Other gods were worshipped through sexual um, filthiness, that they would prostitute people at the temple and worship through that. That is just straight from the pit of hell. It's the mentality of Satan. And if you fall into those things, you're not walking with Christ. You're not connected to Christ. So here, when he says to stray away from sexual immorality and to stray away from the worship of idols, he's making the two almost one because how would they worship those idols other than through sexual immorality? Remember Corinth, this big city filled with immorality in their own city. There were temples dedicated to worshiping false gods through sexual immorality. And so he says, you know, not everybody who goes to church, not everybody who's numbered as amongst them or part of the group is actually truly connected to Christ. The second lesson that he starts in verse 12 of chapter 10 is using those examples. He moves on to saying, so be careful to fall to not to fall into temptation. And he explains that God's 
allowance for temptation in our lives as he allows Satan in the world and our flesh to tempt us, it's never more than our spirit can handle. The temptation is a struggle and, and it is sometimes overwhelming, but there is an opportunity of escape that God always provides. It says that he will show you out, show you a way out so that you can endure. Now, this is different from life circumstances. We oftentimes as Christians will go through things that we cannot endure, that we cannot handle. The, the things in our marriage, the things in our homes, the things at work, man, we can't handle these things. But we learn to rely on Christ to have the strength through those issues. It's different when it comes to temptation because, yeah, work can be overwhelming to the point where you cannot handle it. But God is not going to allow that you be tempted to a point that you cannot find a way of escape. Because then God is attached to your sin. And our God is holy. And he wants us to be holy as he started, as Paul stated in chapter 1 and has continued to push in this book. So here he says, the Lord's going to show you a way out. And if God has called you to be holy and you desire to be holy, though you're tempted, you will find the way out because that is what God is calling you to. He's calling you to holiness. And so we cannot say, as James says, that we are tempted by God. No, we are tempted by our own flesh and stray away because of it. But God provides a way of escape. And as he finishes up this small portion in this chapter, he then goes back to the idea of eating foods that are sacrificed to idols. And he explains why it might be sensitive to people's consciences. Because those statues that the food was sacrificed before are influencing those people, not because they're alive, but because of the demonic activity that surrounds them. And so verse 12 says, No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. And so though you're allowed to eat food that is sacrificed before idols, he says, but why would you? It's de- it has an inherent demonic activity there. So be careful not to fall into temptation because if you start off eating food that's sacrificed to idols, what else might you do that has to do with the demonic activity? What else might you involve yourself in? And so... What else might you involve yourself in? Paul wants us to be focused on the gospel. Verse 31, he says, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to the Jews or the Gentiles or to the church of God. I try to, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. His main focus is always the gospel. It comes down to holiness because of the gospel and harmony in the church because of the gospel. It comes down to imitating him as he imitates Christ. So everything we do needs to be filtered through the idea, does this glorify God? How can I move the gospel forward through this? Because inevitably it may mean something in the future. And so we need to be wise and we need to be focused and we need to have the central mind of saying, I choose to serve the gospel. My life serves 
the good news because it's what saved me and it's what's going to save others. Everything about me changes because of the gospel. And what is the gospel? That we were sinners, lost, and deserving of hell. That by the very nature of who we are, we were chaotic and ashamed and dirty and not worthy of heaven, not worthy of the presence of God. But because God was gracious and because God was merciful and loving, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that the sins that we've committed and the mistakes that we've made and the dirtiness that we've been a part of and the corruption that we have amongst us and the shame that we have and the chaos that we sometimes are a part of could all be put on him. And he died in our place and then he resurrected from the grave and he conquered that sin. He conquered the death. He conquered the chaos. He conquered the shame and he put it all aside so that we could now be, if we choose to believe in Christ as Lord and Savior and surrender our lives to him, then we could be numbered as children of God. Not everybody is called, not everybody, excuse me, not everybody is called, I mean, not everybody is actually called a child of God in God's eyes. Not everybody is actually saved just because they go to church or just because they're a part of a Christian organization or ministry. Not everybody was pleasing to God, though they all were a part of the children of Israel. And so we wonder, am I truly saved? Maybe you are. May this be an encouragement for you to build your life around the gospel. But if there's any slight doubt in your mind, you need to, be know, you need to know for sure that you know Christ and that he knows you. And that you're not just assuming you're numbered amongst God's children, but you truly know that you know that you know that you have surrendered your life to Jesus and believed that good news. And then you need to imitate Christ. And it may be hard to imitate Christ, so you might have to find a pastor or a friend who really truly knows Jesus and start imitating them so that you can learn to imitate Christ. God bless you guys.